you are between the ages of four and the second grade, or traveling with somebody who is, now is a great time to excuse them to children's or kids' club. If you've got a Bible with you, we're opening it up to Hebrews chapter 11. If you don't, there's a red pew Bible in front of you. You are welcome to take it. If you don't have one, we'd like for you to read the Bible. Uh, We're on page 851. That's where we're going to start this morning. Uh, We are working through chapter 11 uh, in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is this long book that's written uh, by an author. We don't know who it is, but it's written to Israelites to, to challenge them in their view of Jesus. The author's really trying to show them repeatedly over and over and over again the superiority of Jesus. That anything else you could trust in, Jesus is better. That anything else you could find your foundation in, Jesus is more significant. That that the hope of, of a human is Jesus Christ. And that's this argument he puts before them. And when you get to chapter 10, you you start to see this place where the church starts to get persecuted and things start getting hard and people start getting challenged for what they believe and start getting mistreated and abused for what they believe. And and so when you get to chapter 11, the author is trying to show you a picture. What is faith? And what does faith really look like? And, And he's trying to build this picture. And in fact, he gives you 12 different pictures of faith. Because he's wanting us just to soak and to saturate in this idea that faith is not a list of rules. And it's not a moral code. It's not being right or being righter than someone else. That faith is a confidence in our maker. In fact, we looked at these early examples and and. Verse 3, he challenges you immediately to this idea of, do you believe God is who he says he is? And will you take God at his word? And he challenges you out of the gate to say, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you believe him? And so immediately this challenge, this faith challenge that you have to take in is, will I take God at his word? We've chosen this summer to define faith as trusting God at his word. And living like it's true. And and so he wants to put that before you. He starts off with, do you believe God created the world? Will you take God at his word? And he gives us a couple of examples. And this morning we're going to start to turn a corner that the whole chapter will take us on. Because the rest of the chapter is going to turn the corner with us to, and will you live like it's true? It's that transition from faith to being faithful. Ooh, I had a suffix right there. I had to look up suffix this morning to make sure I had the right word. To be faithful is to be full of faith. It's for that to be an attribute that's common of you. That somebody would look at you and say, that person has faith. They're full of it. That's what faithful means. That's what faithful looks like. And as we worked through these other examples, we looked at Abel and we looked at Enoch and we saw the scriptures are so clear about this, that these guys, Abel and Enoch, were not commended for this moral code. It wasn't Enoch never had premarital sex and he didn't drink. Therefore, I will translate him into eternity. It's really clear that why they're commended is because God showed them favor. God had grace for them. And they responded in faith. 
And so they're commended for their faith according to the scriptures. So this morning we're going to take the turn and we're going to look at Noah. We're not going to look at all of Noah. We're not going to get into any big Noah debate about whether the whole world was flooded, whether a little bit of the world was flooded. That's for a different time and a different day. What we're going to look at is, what does Hebrews 11 say about Noah? So turn with me there. Hebrews 11.7 says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And by this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Noah constructed an ark. So let's look at it. Any principle of good Bible study would tell you if you want to define a term, you want to define a character, let's flip back into the scriptures. Let's find Noah. So if you will, go to Genesis 6. You find Noah's story 6, 7, 8, and 9. We'll look in chapter 6 a little bit. I'll catch you up. We've been working through Genesis so far. To Kent's point, we are working through the Old Testament this summer as well. In Genesis 1 and 2, you find the creation of the world. In 3, you find the fall, men choosing to disobey God. In 4, Cain kills Abel, and Abel has faith. In 5, you start to see the family line of Adam to Noah with one major standout, Enoch. He had faith. And when you get to chapter 6, there are two things that happen in chapter 6 that start to set the stage for Noah. Verse 1 says this. When man began to, to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, it's just a phrase. But what you start to see is this picture that people are, are procreating. They're spreading out. There's starting to be lots and lots and lots of more people. Now, one thing happens when you have more people, you have more sinners. You know, this happened in my life and in my family when Pam and I just started having kids. Because it started off, there were just two sinners in my house. And it wasn't so hard. Then we added a third sinner. And then a fourth sinner. And now there are five sinners that reside in my house. And it's made it more complex. That may be your experience with family too. The same thing happened on the earth. More sinners start interacting with each other, start sinning worse against each other. And you find through the heritage of Adam that people started forgetting about God. And they started sinning more and more and sin started to reign. In verse 5 it says, And the Lord saw that the wickedness of men was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. God sees men, and he sees their hearts. And what an indictment that every intention of the thought. It's not that they just did things, and it's not just that they thought about doing things. It's that they intended to think about doing things. And you start to see this role of sin cycle. We could apply that to our lives, but I won't. So what's God's response in chapter, verse 6? And the Lord regretted that he'd made man on the earth, and it grieved his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, and man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I've made them. When men give over to sin... By the way, men being an inclusive term, men and women. When men give their lives over to sin, 
It grieves God. One of the tremendous things we're going to see in the life of Noah, one of the great pictures you start to see through here is you're going to see the gospel. It gets played out in the life of Noah. You know, even as New Testament believers, we would affirm that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that the wages of sin are death. You see that in Noah, that there's not one good here. Everyone has given themselves over to sin, and God will hold sinners accountable. If you want to get into a discussion of whether or not God will judge people in eternity— Take into consideration every time in the scriptures he said he would, he did. God doesn't kid around. So when God says, I want to destroy things, what happens? See, this is the part of, this is why this is an unfathomable children's story to me. Because we love the shoving of the animals on the boat. What we don't tell our kids about is then the big, all the waters come up and the other animals that are floating around. I don't think, see, everyone between four and two, second grade already left, so I'm fine. So verse eight. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found favor. By the way, that next line up there is not scripture. I'm not trying to import it to scripture. That's me copying my notes into PowerPoint. So it says, favor is grace. You will not find that in your Bible. It's not in the Bible. I'm not trying to tell you it's in the Bible. That's my notes copied under PowerPoint. Because what you find here is that this word, Noah found favor, this word favor gets translated as grace. In fact, this word gets used in the Old Testament some 110 times, 50-some times used to say favor, 30-something times to say grace. This actually turns out to be the first place you'd find a word that can be translated grace in your scriptures. There are lots of firsts in this passage, by the way. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God looked down on Noah and showed him grace. It's the same grace that God shows you when he beckons you to come after him. It's the same grace God shows you when in the middle of your sin, God calls you to himself. Now, it's a fascinating story. Noah had to ask himself this question in the same way we do. Why? Why, God, would you pick me? I don't know. Noah didn't know. We don't know. Why God picks us. We're just amazed by the grace of it. Verse 9, he says, These are the generations of Noah Noah was a righteous man and blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Last week we looked at that term walked with God. It was said of Enoch. These are the only two guys it's said of. Enoch walked with God. It's this picture of an intimate relationship where these two are talking, they're engaging one another. And friends, this is the picture of relationship with God that we're challenged to have. It's an intimate, ongoing relationship where he speaks to us through his word and we speak to him through prayer. It's that picture where we're walking with God. And it's so important for us to get a picture and to understand God is at work here. God is moving here in Noah the same way he's going to work in your life when you let him. 
We talked about it from the beginning of the series. We can take these guys and isolate them and make them so different than us and remove ourselves from any sense of faithfulness God might call us to. But rather, we need to see these pictures of these extraordinarily normal people that God has favor on the same way he does you when he calls you to himself, and they respond with faith. Noah has an intimate relationship with God. He walks with him. And it says Noah's life, he was righteous and blameless. He walked differently than his generation. He looked different. And it's important for us to see that too. You know, working with college kids, one of the funny objections you get from people from time to time is, well, if I give my life to Jesus, will he make me go to Africa? Maybe. But you know what? He doesn't normally start, he doesn't walk up to Abraham and say, Abraham, the ark. Just the same way you don't get the picture here that he walked into Noah's life and said, Noah, ark. You get the sense that Noah's walking with him. Noah's being faithful. And God's showing him more. And Noah's being faithful. And God's showing him things. And Noah's being faithful. You get that because he's blameless and he's righteous and his life looks different. And in the middle of him pursuing God, God then shows up and says, Noah, ark. Noah walked with God. Verse 10, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And Noah said to God, wait, God said to Noah, I just got dyslexic, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Verse 14. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. And in the middle of Noah's life, of being faithful, of obeying God, of pursuing this intimacy, this has got to be a strange opportunity. Now, there are times in my life where I really feel like God has impressed me with something. He's impressed a vision on my life that I, I kind of can't get away from. Moving to Fargo would line up on that list of things where I'm like going, Ark, Fargo. Ark would have been easier. <laughs> but God instills these. He gives you these moments. He puts them before you and you just go, okay, I'm going to be faithful. And, and so Noah gets called, he gets this put before him, make an ark of gopher wood. Now, interestingly enough, do you know what gopher wood is? No, because nobody knows what gopher wood is. They still don't know what gopher wood is. Like, people have torn that apart trying to figure it out. We do know what pitch is. We, they build this big wood boat, and they start filling in the seam so it won't take on water. And so he builds this huge boat. And God's really specific. 15, this is how you make it. Now, isn't it cool of God, by the way, that if he's going to tell you to build the ark, that he also drops off blueprints? He, God could have made it a way different experience and just said, you know, make something up. But God doesn't do that with us, does he? God actually gives us pretty explicit blueprints, even on our side of faith. We want to know what faithful looks like. The whole New Testament paints the picture for us. It's not left to us to make it up. 
It's not left to us to go, well, how do I reach the world? I don't know. How, what is my life? Sp- I don't know. God gets really explicit. He, he gives Noah directions the same way he does with us. And this is what he says. This is how you make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. Now, I don't speak cubits, and I'm guessing you don't either, but they're big. In fact, the ark would be bigger than an American football field. In fact, it's about 150 yards long. A fascinating thing about the ark is that it would currently, based on sky, size scale models, you could put 860 railroad cards on an ark. That's pretty sizable. You could fit plenty. I've heard people say, how could you build a boat so big enough that you could get all the animals on the earth? Well, they've done a study, they looked at it, and they figured out you could put 125 sheep-sized animals on a building this large. Now, I'm guessing someone determined that a sheep is an average-sized animal. I don't know. I haven't tried to average those out. But 125,000 sheep on a boat is an awful lot of animals. And that's what he's charged to build. In fact, if you do the math on it, there's not great math, but people say it probably took Noah somewhere between 20 to 50 years to build this thing in his backyard. Another interesting side note, the same profile in the water the ark would have had is replicated in an American aircraft carrier. Just throwing that out for you. God's designs aren't bad. We use them in our aircraft carriers. So make a roof for the ark, finish it, with, finish it to a cubit above, and set the door of the ark on its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. God gives them an amazing design to build the ark. For behold, it gives them a reason. I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Verse 18, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wives, and your sons' wives with you. In the middle of this picture where the earth is filled with sin, God says, I will make a covenant with you and I will save you. And how fascinating, if we want to see the gospel, we find the earth filled with sin, same place we live We're surrounded by people whose lives are filled with sin. In fact, I joked with Wayne on our way in. Wayne came in and said, how are you doing? I said, I'm excellent. He said, well, we're sinners. I said, yes, we're excellent sinners. Between Wayne and I, I think we can out-sin most of you. That's just, that's the nature of people. Even the people in this room struggle with sin. It's, It's what's around us. But the beauty of that is that we don't get stuck in it. We don't get owned by it. And the beauty of it, and the same thing that happens to Noah, God intervenes in our lives and he shows us the grace of Jesus Christ and he makes a covenant with us to save us. You see the gospel lived out for Noah. In verse 22, of all the script verses here, this is the one that gets me the most. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. He did all that God commanded him. Now see, this is faith. This is what faith looks like in scriptures. 
Faith isn't Noah sitting on a rock by himself going, Lord God, you are amazing, you are great, you are fantastic. God shows up and says, build an ark. Hmm, yeah, an ark, hmm, deep. He doesn't just sit there and ponder the ark for the rest of his life. He doesn't get a, a group of people around him to discuss or to vote upon whether the ark is what they should be about. In fact, what you find is Noah's response to God is obedience. Noah did all that was commanded of him. He did it all. When God showed up and said, Noah, jump. Noah jumped. I don't think God tested him that way, but you get the picture. Noah did everything God commanded him to do. It's a fascinating picture. Noah builds an ark. The story, whole story of Noah runs from chapter 6 to chapter 9. Starts off with this great depiction of Noah walking with God, of this intimate relationship that he has, and how that intimate relationship gets fleshed out as righteousness and blamelessness. And in 22, it makes a huge, crucial turn of obedience. Noah did everything God commanded him to do. And that's why in Hebrews eleven seven he's commended. Now, there's a whole lot more to this story. We can unpack it for a longer time, but we're not looking at Noah. We're looking at faith. And you might sit in your shoes this morning and say, can I do all that God commanded me? What will that look like? Won't that interrupt my life? Won't that change my perspective? Won't that change how I have to operate? And the answer is, well, look at Noah. Do you think Noah had plans? Do you think Noah had goals? Do you think Noah had had a desire for what he wanted to do for his life before God shows up and says, be obedient? To give you a picture of that, I thought I'd show you a movie clip. 2007, the movie Evan Almighty came out, telling you the story of the relationship between God and Noah. Now, let me hear, hear me say this. Every time I quote a movie or show you a clip, this is not a ringing endorsement to go rent it. Okay, I don't need a phone call, an email, or letter that says, Ben, I saw that movie, it was awful. I'm not telling you to go watch it. Got it? I'm just saying we're going to use it as an illustration to get a sense of what God is doing and what that relationship might have looked like through the characters of Steve Carell and Morgan Freeman, neither of whom love Jesus. Not saying that either. So if you play the clip. So you're really him, aren't you? You want more proof? I haven't done the Philip Salt thing in a while. That's all right. I believe you. I just, I don't understand why you chose me. You want to change the world, son. So do I. What? Why an ark? I mean, that's like flood territory. You wouldn't do that again. You wouldn't do that. Would you do that? Let's just say that whatever I do, I do because I love you. Well, then you have to understand that this whole building an ark thing is really not part of my plans here. I need to settle into my house. I need to make a good impression at work. Your plans. 
What are you talking? I'm, we're talking about an ark, right? I mean, an ark? An ark is huge. I don't even know where I would begin. So, you're really him, aren't you? You want more proof? It's replying. I now. haven't done the pillar of salt thing in a while. It's fascinating. It ends with God handing him a book called The Ark for Dummies. It got, he wants him to have the plan, but you get the sense. This had to put a lot of tension in Noah's life. If you're going to build something, a huge, Noah knew what a cubit was. He, he knew when you started laying cubits out in your backyard, it wasn't going to take too long before some people picked up on the cubits in his backyard. When they started picking up that Noah was establishing this tremendous collection of gopher wood, they, they would pick up on that. And as it got a little bit bigger, it was going to ask some questions. People were going to ask him things, and, and inevitably one of his buddies was going to come up and say, Noah, you used to be a shepherd. Your, your sheep aren't being tended very well. You know, your garden is a little overgrown. You used to be about these things, and you're not about these things. What's going on with your life? And Noah chose obedience. Noah lived an extraordinarily different life in front of the culture he lived in front of. Why? Because God asked him to. And Noah let set his entire life to be about a work that didn't make sense to everyone around him. He built an ark. And you got to expect that somewhere, like happened in the movie, somewhere in the 20 to 40 years, a lot of people had to walk by and say, Noah, are you kidding me? It's not even rounded. There's not a lake here. This isn't the land of 11,042 lakes. What are you going to do with a large wood shack in your backyard? He had to get mocked for it. People had to poke at him for it. And how did Noah respond? With obedience. With obedience. See, Noah took God at his word and lived like it was true. Noah responded with a life of faith, of being faithful, of listening to God. And everything God would command him to do, Noah's going to say, yes, Lord. Yes, I'll do that. I'll be a part of that. God, whatever you'd ask me to do, I'll, I'll do it. I, I just want to be a part of, of what you're doing. Hebrews eleven seven says, By faith, Noah, by faith, by trusting God and taking God at his word and believing that God's word is true, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, being warned by God, God told Noah what was going to happen in the future. Noah took God at his word in reverent fear. See, Noah listened to God and said, when hearing that this judgment was going to come upon him, Noah's response wasn't, yeah, well, it's, you know, that's far away. Well, that didn't really concern me. Noah took God really seriously in reverent fear, constructed an ark. It wasn't flippant. It wasn't accidental. No, no one knew what he was up against. 
And because God had told him to, and because he took God seriously, he started acting like what God said was true and like he should listen to God and live it faithfully. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And by this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Noah built an ark, and that ark ultimately condemned everyone who wasn't on it to death. And everyone who was on it was saved. It's it's an early picture that God does what he says he's going to do. That if you follow that into the New Testament, that indeed if we're living in a world surrounded by sinners, people who are choosing their sin, people who are letting sin reign in their lives, that we have something in Jesus Christ. We have something to offer the world. Now friends, let it not be mistaken that we are great, righteous, awesome people. I'd like to think we're pursuing blamelessness and righteousness, but we still struggle with sin. We don't get to hold it over the world's head. We don't get to go, hey, sinners, let me bow down, come to your level. And No, we're looking at people who have a desperate need for an ark. In this case, their ark is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, like the ark, was a symbol of condemnation. Because when Christ put himself on a cross... He did so that whoever would receive him, whoever would accept the forgiveness that the cross brought, would be forgiven of their sins and they'd live everlasting with him in eternity. But the cross is also a condemnation. It is the aroma of death to the unbeliever. That if you deny the cross, if you will not accept the forgiveness that's offered to you in Jesus Christ, it becomes your condemnation. So church, do we believe that? Do we believe it with a a guttural conviction that we can't sit still because of it? Because that's what moved Noah. That was the faith that Noah had was to say, God told me to build an ark. I gotta build the ark. Now the cool thing that we've got in this side of, of the cross is that God said he'd build his church. He's building his church. He's just calling us to be faithful. Faithful being full of faith. Being full of people who take God at his word and live like it's true. Being faithful that we would take those opportunities to engage our neighbors, to love our coworkers, to reach out to the common person on the street, to engage the world, to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world. You pick one that God commanded us to do. Noah was commended because he loved God and he walked with him intimately. Not because, and because God loved him and walked with him intimately, in the midst of that, God called him to do something radical. And you're found in that same narrative in Scripture. That God loved you and chose you in Jesus Christ. And he brought you into his family. And he's given you a mission to go and make disciples and to baptize people, to evangelize people, and to tell them everything God told you. Even to the end of the age, we're called to be about what he's about. It's his heart for the world. God makes it so clear in his word. 
He makes it so clear. Noah did everything that God commanded him to do. You want a great thing for your gravestone? Picture it. Think about it for a second. Dan did everything that God commanded him to do. Woof. That'd be a fun funeral to do. Just to sit back here. Man, you would not believe the life of faith that this woman led. Oh, the life of faith of this guy. Whew. And by the way, we're not even getting to the fact that Noah's probably a pretty old man at this point. So just because you're older doesn't get you out of God's commandments. If God is still filling your lungs with breath, it's because he's still desiring to use you. There's not an opt-out policy in the scriptures. God commended Noah for his faith because he took God at his word and he lived like it was true and with reverent fear he pursued the work that God had given him because he took God seriously will that be said of us let me pray Father, even as we look at Noah and look at his faith that he was called to build an ark. Father, I'm challenged by that. And I'm humbled by it. And there are days when I think that building an ark would be easier than the calling you've gave us because I could spend all my time in my backyard building things. And that'd be fun. And yet, Father, the calling you gave us was to reach the world for your glory. You're going to build your church, but you call us to be faithful. You call us to participate in it so that we can see your grace in action, so that we can see you at work, that we'd walk closer with you and, and know more your heart. Father, I pray for every person in this room and for everyone who will hear this on a podcast, Father, that you would call us to greater obedience. Not that we'd have a checklist. We should have disproven that weeks ago. Not so that we could be better moral people. But out of love and reverent fear for your word. That we would obey everything you command us to do. Help us to have a beggar, better, a bigger, and a more beautiful picture of Jesus. So we'd see he's far more superior than anything else. And that when we get challenged to live this life of faith that we'd obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.